0: Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. I want to take this moment to welcome everybody. Thank you for joining us for our RCC uh, weekly service. <clears throat> um, I, you know, About a month ago when we put this um, series together, there was uh, no... Uh, way we could know where we would be in our country this specific week, and so um, I really believe that uh, the the hand of the Lord has kind of orchestrated all of this so that we could be here tonight to talk about this particular <clears throat> subject in our um, in our series tonight, our 4-H series, and so we're going to continue on with that. And uh, the so last week we talked about one of the four areas that we're we're discussing during this week, or during this series, um, uh, uh, places where we can do some work to improve our relationship with God. And there are four of these areas, and last week we talked about the head, and so in this series there are four letter H's um, that coincide with the 4-H club analogy that we're using here um, during this series. Last week we dealt with the head, and then this week we're gonna talk about the second H, and that is the heart. The heart and so if you're following along with your notes tonight uh, the uh, the first line there is the heart is the environment where feelings emotions and motives grow the heart is the environment where feelings emotions and motives grow so it's really important that we do the work, kind of with the analogy that we're keeping throughout this series of almost like a home garden is growing, the seeds of God's word are growing in our heart, and we remove the things that could come along to kill the the word of God growing in us because it is the place where our heart is a place where feelings, emotions, and motives grow. But one of the things that we have to understand about the heart is that it's fickle. It's fickle. It's the next line there in your notes. The human heart is fickle. Now, here's what I mean by that. So let me just kind of put it in a church context that I'm kind of familiar with as an example. Let's say that you're someone who sings and that you look at you go to your church and you look at the people who are singing and on the stage and they're kind of leading songs and worship and things like that, and you go, man, I really wish I could be up there, but your heart starts to push forward this insecurity. I don't know if I'm good enough. What if they don't accept me? What if I don't make it? What if I'm, you know, I sing the notes wrong or forget the words, and there's just this kind of tension that your that your heart with your emotions start to push in on you, and let's just say that you, you know, wrestle with that for a while, and you get past it, and you kind of con- confront that emotion of, of insecurity and a little bit afraid and and you try out for the for the team and they say man you're really good we want you on the team and they put you on the team and then a couple of weeks later that same heart that was telling you I don't know if you're good enough to make it I don't know if it's if you're gonna um, I'm gonna fit there I don't know if you're gonna really do really well is all of a sudden changing with not uh, not uh, any more feelings of of insecurity but all of a sudden, a feeling of pride, like I should have been here the whole time. I, I should have been here. And it's that same heart who's making, who's kind of pushing that emotion forward on one end, switches and pushes a different motion on, on the other end. And, they, and so it's really important for us to understand the human heart is fickle. But why is it important for us to keep our heart clear? Of the weeds in our analogy here to, that that may grow there why should we pull out the ungodly beliefs the ungodly teachings out of our heart why because proverbs four twenty three explains this perfectly guard your heart above all else why for it determines the course of your life i'm gonna read that one more time <clears throat> guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life if our heart the 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 environment where our feelings emotions and motives grow if our heart is that place and we're we're instructed in god's word to guard that above everything else because it determines the course of our life it is worth every bit of time effort and energy that is spent to make sure we have we have cultivated the ground correctly to allow the word of god the seed of god's word to grow in us so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about four areas that we can kind of watch over in our in our heart, in the land of our heart if you will that we can uh, make sure that our heart is prepared for what god wants to do okay the first one number one in your notes there is the posture of our heart we need to watch over the posture of our heart <clears throat> a couple verses before the one we just read in Proverbs 4 verses 20 and 22 says this my child pay attention to what I say listen carefully to my words don't lose sight of them let them penetrate deep into your heart for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole, to their whole body <clears throat> now the person who wrote this is King Solomon. And you, if you're familiar with him, you know exactly how the Bible describes him. But if you're not, King Solomon is described as the wisest person next to Jesus, the wisest person ever to walk the face of the earth. He asked God for wisdom, and God gave it to him. He asked him for wisdom first before anything else, before riches, before power, before influence, anything else, and God granted him Wisdom and then all of those things followed because he asked for wisdom So here we find the wisest man to ever walk the face of the earth in this chapter 4 is giving some direction to The children of Israel the people who are working for him the people who he has influence on and his direct Lineage of children. He's giving them instructions and he's telling them to pursue the ways of wisdom pursue the God that gives wisdom Let this get deep into your heart and reject the ways of the wicked. So when he refers to the ways of the wicked, he describes them as total darkness. This is Solomon. The wisest man to ever walk the earth is describing the way of the wicked as total darkness. He also describes wicked activities as drinking of violence, the drinking of violence. He is laying out, there are two paths for us to choose, wisdom or wickedness, and we need to determine what we allow to grow in our heart. He is saying in the scripture, let the wisdom, the words of wisdom, God's word of wisdom penetrate deep into our hearts. Why? It's the next line here in your notes, and this is the reason. The heart that is teachable has a posture of humility. The heart that is teachable, that allows itself to be corrected, that allows the words of wisdom to penetrate your heart, that heart has a posture of humility. So if we're after a posture of humility, there must be an opportunity and a chance for us to not pursue humility. And so if we're not pursuing humility, what are we doing? We have a heart that believes it knows everything. If we can't be corrected, if the words of, of the wisest man ever to live, if we're going to reject those words, if we're not going to allow the word of God, the wisdom of God through his word to penetrate our heart, it's because we're looking at it with the attitude of, I know it all. I know that none of you have ever done this, but me in my teenage years kind of had this posture, you know, when my dad and my mom would try to correct me on things or tell me of things, and I'd be like, y'all are old. You don't know anything. I'm a young teenager. I'm on the cutting edge of everything that's going on. I know what's going on out here. I, I know how how life really is. <clears throat> and little did I know that taking that posture was completely ignorant. But it was a reflection that a heart that believes it knows everything has a posture of arrogance. Of arrogance. This form of arrogance of thinking that I know everything. <clears throat> eventually leads to an attitude of superiority. Why? Because I know it all. You can't tell me nothing. I've got this figured out. You can't offer me any insight or wisdom. I've got all this figured out. And when it leads into that attitude of superiority, that attitude of superiority believes itself to be more important, valuable, and worthy than other people. We find this attitude of superiority, superiority Reflected sometimes in greed. I want it. Give it to me. I I deserve it more than someone else. (laughs) Self-righteousness. We find it in the attitude of self-reliance, of uh, the belief that material possessions means you're more valuable or more successful than someone else. The feelings of superiority from a social or economic class and even down to the vile, disgusting posture of racism. All of those things I just described, the greed, the self-righteousness, the self-reliance, um, um, the belief in material possessions equals importance, uh, the feelings of superiority in social and economic ways and racism, all those things are derived from a heart that mixes a deadly combination of ignorance and arrogance, of ignorance and arrogance do you see how having a, 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 our heart posture is important because if we have one that's teachable and humble we can learn to grow but if we reject that and think we know it all and that we have this posture of arrogance it leads it has a ripple effect to lead us down a a road that ultimately leads to destruction <clears throat> when our heart posture is one of humility We are open for the Lord to impart wisdom to us through his word and any other avenue he sees fit. Number two, the other area that we need to to make sure we're taking care of in our heart is the motives of our heart. The motives of our heart. You know, follow your heart is a popular phrase and expression in our current culture, and it's one I've actually um, used myself in kind of, especially my early years of ministry, trying to encourage someone to, what am I supposed to do? And I didn't know what to tell them, so I just told them to follow their heart. And as I got, uh, I don't want to say older, more mature in the faith, as I matured in the faith and, and began to grow in my relationship with God and have deeper roots into Him, I started to realize that this This phrase, follow your heart, on my end, came with an assumption. It came with an assumption that the person I was talking to had a heart that was submitted to God. But that assumption is not always correct. People who follow their hearts versus following what the Lord puts in their heart as a new creation are two completely different things. I'm going to say that again if you're following along in the notes. People following their hearts versus following what the Lord puts in their hearts as a new creation are completely two different things. <clears throat> Matt, I've heard this my whole life. How can you say sit here and say, don't follow your heart? What, what are the grounds are you making a decision for me not to follow my heart? I, I, scripture. The, the prophet Jeremiah speaking to the entire nation of Israel He's, he's given words from the Lord to say to them, and here's what it says. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. He could have dropped the mic right there, but he keeps going. And desperately wicked. Who really knows what it is, how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. So here we are reading the prophet Jeremiah where he's instructing all of us as God's children. He's saying, man, the heart is desperately wicked. It's the most deceitful of things. And God is going to examine our motives. So here we see the importance of making sure our motives are correct. So how do we do that? So I'm going to give you a three-question um, three little test for the motives of your heart. You, you're making a decision for your life. You want to run off in a certain direction. You think, I'm going to go do this with my life. I'm going to make this life decision. <clears throat> I'm going to go do this because I really want to you know, do this and please the Lord and follow him. So let, let's give you a quick little test to see. What our motives are okay so question number one I'd like you to ask yourself about what you're doing the motive of what you're doing in your life is this <clears throat> does my motive align with scripture does my motive align with scripture is there greed as a part of my motive is there um, I want people to look at me as part of my motive is there uh, an effort to be seen in the spotlight to hit me as you're this great successful guy or great successful girl or, this great successful couple Does our motive align with Scripture? Number two, are these efforts I'm pursuing self-serving or serving others? Are these efforts self-serving or or do they serve others? We find in Scripture the greatest commandment is loving God and loving people and treating them as if we would want, how we want to be treated ourselves. Serving them has to be a priority. Over serving ourselves. The third question about our motive is this. Who gets the glory. For the accomplishments of my life. Who gets the glory. For the accomplishments of my life. If we take this simple. Three question test. And apply it to our motives. If our motives pass great. Prayerfully consider. Moving forward with the decision. That you have. But if they don't. I would reconsider and ask the lord to to prune the area of motives in our own heart some of you may be saying but matt i see people out here in the world doing all kinds of foul dishonest ungodly unscriptural things and all of them are getting rich doing it They don't care who they hurt they're just kind of running over people they're climbing the corporate ladder they're stealing clients from each other they're dishonest on the on on their on their deals they're lying to people doing all this stuff and they're out here getting rich and people are applauding them and being successful but I want to stop us right there if you're if you are one of the people asking that question because I've asked it in my own life is success for us as believers in Christ money notoriety fame popularity spotlight on us or is our goal to grow a deeper grow deeper in our obedience and relationship with our savior is that success let me ask you that question again is our goal as believers in christ to attain worldly riches that are temporary or grow a deep grow deeper in our obedience and relationship with our savior Psalms 37 addresses this particular issue, and it says this in verses 1 through 5. Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong, for like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good, then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord, trust in him. And he will help you. Now I want to pause right here. Because when you read that passage of, of scripture. Typically people jump over verses 1 through 3. And go right to verse 4. <clears throat> Take delight in the Lord. And he will give you your heart's desires. And we have an incorrect gospel. It's been presented to us. Especially in this country. That unfortunately we have shipped across the world. That is unbiblical. Because we say... Oh, God's gonna give me my desires. So whatever I want if I'm following him, I get what I want. That's not what this says The phrase he will give you the desires of your heart does not translate into God will give you whatever selfish thing you want if you say you're happy with him That's not how this works you can go throughout the Bible and see the character and the attitude and the, and the direction of, of God and, and the words of Jesus regarding all of this. <clears throat> and it's very clear this is not what he means. And as I was doing my study, I, I, I read several um, uh, theologian and scholars or biblical commentaries, and they all agreed and said the same thing. And I wanna read just one of them because I believe he, he said it a very clear way for our understanding here today. It's Matthew Henry from the Biblical Commentary on Psalms 37, verse 4. God has not promised to gratify all the appetites of the body and the humors of the fancy, but grant all the desires of the heart, all the cravings of the renewed, sanctified soul. What is the desire of the heart of a good man or woman? It is this. To know and love and live to God, to please him and be pleased in him. If the motives of our heart are self-serving, then they aren't the motives God is commanding us and instructing us to pursue. If if the motives of our heart are self-serving, they're not the motives God commands us or instructs us to pursue. If our motives are, as the commentary, the Matthew Henry's commentary says, if our motives are to know, love, and live to God, to please Him and be pleased in Him, then we will want what God wants. And then God will grant us what we desire to do with our life because it is aligned with Him and His plan. See, when we have... A renewed heart a renewed mind a renewed spirit we are born again as believers in Christ we now have a new life to pursue and those desires that we wanted that were self-serving need to be put to death and we need to choose to follow and filter our motives through what god wants because if we are truly in relationship with him we love him we are gracious for the we are we're we are uh, in such gratitude for his graciousness to us that i'm going to want what he wants to accomplish because he is my creator he is the he is the chief giver he is our savior and he knows how we operate best it's important we keep We we tend to the motives of our heart. Number three, the other area that we need to um, to tend to is the purity of our heart. Matthew chapter five verse eight says, "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God." The original word in the scripture for that word "pure" is katharos, katharos. And it has four little different um sub definitions and they're this purified by fire like a vine cleansed by pruning so it can bear fruit free from corrupt desires or free from being mixed with what is false free from being mixed from what is false notice that it doesn't say the pure in heart are blessed and we get to translate blessed into material possessions, glory for me, more stuff for me. No, no, no. It says you are blessed when your heart has been cleansed by God through faith in Christ. When God prunes the heart so it can bear fruit, your heart is free from the corrupt desire in any mixture of what is false. And why are you blessed when your heart is that way? because then the reward of seeing God and spending eternity with him will be yours. And I can guarantee you any life, you live in your best life now, whatever that life is, that is the apex of whatever it is you think that could be just this ultimate life that you live here is nothing in comparison to what eternity with your all-loving, all-giving, all-gracious, all-powerful, all-knowing creator is going to be. We set our affections there and not on temporary things. Do we need the temporary things? Yeah, I got to eat. I'm kind of hungry right now, actually. But I got to eat. I got to have a roof over my head. I got to be able to get back and forth to work. I need to—those are all good, godly things. But if they become the focus, they become the motive, they become what I'm after— then my heart is full with a full full of things that are false let me give you a, um a quick example of how this shaped out in my own life several years ago um i was sitting outside probably probably a little six or seven years ago sitting outside on the back porch at our home and and i was praying and spending some time in and reading god's word and just kind of um contemplating some things with the lord and it was kind of an odd thing it's never really happened to me before but this <clears throat> this um This question kind of almost raised up out of my out of my chest out of my heart and it was it was kind of an odd question but I felt like the Lord was trying to ask me this question and the question was this in the middle of my prayer time thinking about something else this question came across my heart and it was this if you could have three relationships that lasted the rest of your life what would they be my first reaction was jackpot I'm about to ask for these three things, and God's going to give them to me. So I thought of like some unbelievably successful business person who was like wildly wealthy, and I named them. And then I thought about um, like a like a really big, famous, influential pastor and ministry person, and and named them. And then I thought about this athlete that i really admired and I, their work ethic and stuff and they weren't a believer but so what you know i could i could try to help them and you know get back to the lord so i named these three people and i named them and i was like now what and it was like the question dissolved so for a while i thought man this is i'm gonna have relationships with these people you know and that never happened and several weeks later i was in my prayer time again i had forgotten all about it and this question rose up again if you could have relationships with three people for the rest of your life, who would you have? And so I started thinking, so maybe my answers were wrong last time. And so I decided, okay, I need to pick someone I didn't think big enough. I didn't dream big enough. So I, I need to look at the person who makes more money than the last person I thought who's more successful. I'm not a multimillionaire, but a billionaire. And so I named somebody. Name a different ministry person, name a different athlete. And this one was I thought was saved at the times. So I thought maybe that would kind of like be the, the mix or the recipe or the formula to get me those relationships. And as soon as I answered, the question kind of dissolved again. Over the next several months, this happened to me another three or four times. And I could never figure out why this question kept popping up in my heart but in the in between the time god was asking those questions he was really doing some internal work in me he was pulling out some weeds he was exposing some things about my own motives and about how my heart had been contaminated with some false beliefs and false ideas and I had some debris in there from hurt and wounds and in, in life and in ministry and in relationships and And God was starting to flush those things out, and it was a long period of time. And about nine months is is about how long that that time frame lasted. And about at the end of that nine months, the Lord asked me the question again. You could have three relationships for the rest of your life. Who would they be? And this time, my approach was not formulaic. It was not trying to be self-serving my request was, or the, the, my, my thought to answer this question was free of a lot of the debris I've been carrying in my own life. <clears throat> and it hit me. And I remember a tear running down my face because I thought, how have I not answered this question differently? Because God, if there's three people, I desperately want a relationship with the rest of my life. It's you, my wife, and my son. It was almost as if, at that point, the question didn't, didn't dissolve. It was almost as if the Lord kind of gently grinned and whispered and said, There you go. And it wasn't a guarantee that I wouldn't have some of these other relationships that I named or anything like that, or I wouldn't go through any relational struggle in my life. <clears throat> it was almost as if the Lord was showing me before all of these times when I've asked you this question, your heart had contaminants, it was not pure and in this point, I got it to the point where all of this stuff is removed and now you answer clearly with a heart that beats after me. <clears throat> the last area, the fourth area that on um, the last one we're going to talk about today that we need to make sure that we're navigating <clears throat> is the peace. Of our heart, P E A C E, the peace of our heart. We're going to read Colossians 3 15 and
1: 16.
0: And let the peace that comes from God rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. I want to pause right there. Take notice of the very first line of verse 15 that we just read in Colossians chapter 3. Take notice of it. Paul says, let the peace. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. He's encouraging believers to allow peace to rule in us. What does this mean? If he's telling us to allow peace, let peace rule in us, there's another thing that can be allowed to rule us outside of the peace of God. This means we have a choice in life moments that we can let worry, anxiety, confusion, and hopelessness rule in our heart, or we can let the peace of God rule. That decision will be ours. We have a choice. <clears throat> There's a lot of times where we encounter different situations in life where it's very hard to contain our emotions. <clears throat> but I want us to remember something very important. And it's the next line here in your notes is this. Our emotions are real. They're very real. God created, them, created us with them. Our emotions are real, but they are not always right. They are not always right. <clears throat> I've never met someone who, or let, me, let me back up and ask you a question. Have you ever met someone who, who kind of, you caught them on an off day or a bad day or they were going through something, you didn't know they were going through it and you said something kind of casually or made a joke or <clears throat> something that was kind of innocent and they just turned and blew up on you? And we're screaming, yelling, hollering, and it kind of went zero to 100, you know, in a a half second. And they were just yelling, screaming, hollering, and they stormed off somewhere and and yelled. And if you're sitting next to that person, don't point at them. But um, if you've ever had that happen, you understand. and, and, And then the next day, that person comes back to you and says, hey, look, I am so sorry. I'm dealing with something in my own life and in my own heart. And... I just let my emotions get the best of me. <clears throat> Have you ever heard somebody say that to you? I've let my emotions get the best of you or get the best of me? Every time somebody says, I let my emotions get the best of me, it's always in a negative, in a negative connotation, in a negative context. They don't ever do something great and go, man, I let my emotions get the best of me and made the greatest decision of my life. That's not what happens. It's always when there's this massive negative reaction, they say my emotions got the best of me. This is what I mean by our emotions are real, but they're not always correct. They're not always right. If you've been growing up in church, you've, you've undoubtedly heard the, sto- the, the, the phrase having peace in the midst of the storm. That means that all kinds of craziness can be going on around me and causing me to feel many different negative emotions. But as a believer in Christ, I have the opportunity to choose his peace. I have an opportunity to do what Paul said to this, the church in Colossia, in Colossians 3.15. I have a choice to let the peace that comes from Christ rule in my heart. Have our hearts wandered from the Lord by submitting to other things, other emotions, other concerns of life? If you ask yourself that question, and the answer is yes, if so, we can course correct and bring our heart back into submission to God. <clears throat> we can bring His peace and allow it to rule in our hearts. The last part of that scripture in verse 16, Colossians 3 and 16 says, Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives, that he he being God gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. I heard a story of a pastor who... um, he was very <clears throat> discouraged with where his congregation was. He he was uh, running a church, had several hundred people, and they would come, and they were faithful, and they would come to service, but as he was watching them, he realized that when the music on the stage was going on, and the people were singing and, 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 and offering praise and worship to God, most of the people kind of just sat back and weren't really participating. They weren't really singing their heart for God. They weren't weren't worshiping with the people, and they just kind of became consumers. They just took and just listened. They did the same thing with his messages. They started to, to kind of just listen, but it really didn't change them. They listened and came because they're supposed to, and yeah, they volunteered once in a while, and then they would leave, but <clears throat> this pastor was very discouraged with the position of his, in, the, in, the, in the place of his, that his church was. He didn't know what to do, and he was in prayer for it, and one day he had an idea come to him, and so he went into the sanctuary during the week when there was no service and took down all the cameras and the screens and the projectors. He cleared out all the lights and the fog machines and all the specialized lighting, and he turned off the PA system and plugged the whole thing. And when people came into service the next week, they were stunned. They were like, "Are we doing a remodel or a construction or what's going on here?" And the pastor stood in front and said, "I am. I cannot allow us to come and just consume. I can't allow us to just listen to these songs that talk about how good God is and and not bring something, an uh, offering from our heart, not money." but something from us to say, God, I want to give something to you. I want to give my heart to you. He said, until we can do that, until we can get to that point where we come prepared to give to God in worship and respond in obedience to his word, all of this stuff is only a distraction and it's going to stay away. I want us to get back to what really matters. And in the midst of that time that lasted several weeks, and I think it lasted actually several months, their worship leader stepped forward and wrote a song. It's one I'm sure that many of you are familiar with, but I'm going to ask Jill and Juliana to come and sing this chorus. Remember that story. Keep that in the back of your mind. And the worship leader at that church, with everything stripped away, comes and sings this song. you girls for singing for us. I'm sure almost every single person who's sitting here watching or listening to this service has heard that song. It wasn't until the people's hearts were right the pastor brought back all of the stuff and it was no longer a distraction. It was no longer the focus. The heart of worship was what drove them from then, from then on. <clears throat> As a church, I'm going to ask us to do something difficult. <clears throat> I'm going to ask us to do something difficult. And I, I want to explain it just real quickly before you commit to doing it because I'm asking you to do something that is great for your relationship with God, something I have done myself and will do again myself many more times throughout my life. <clears throat> but I want us to examine our hearts. And I want us to bring in the Lord when we, when we examine our own hearts <clears throat> to show us the things and areas we may have a blind spot. Something that we have stuffed so far in a dark crevice in a corner of our heart <clears throat> that we may not even know it still exists there. We may have forgotten about it. What, I want, what I'm asking you to consider doing is in your prayer time this week, at least get away at least twice by yourself for a significant portion of time. It doesn't have to be an hour, but not just three or four minutes, but a a real amount of time to, to go this week twice and pray this prayer of David in Psalm 139. Let's read it real quick. Search me, O God, and know my heart try me and know my anxieties see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting some of you may be going oh yeah i'll do that no no no, wait 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 look at what you're asking the lord to do search me and know my heart peel back the covered up areas the things that i have done Uh, I have covered up so well in my life that I don't even want to deal with them He can pull the rug back and expose those things one more time and say hey there's a weed here That needs to be removed Try me and know my anxieties you are asking the Lord to to squeeze you almost in a way To push up in you the things that make you nervous the things that cause you anxiety, where, you're, where you are maybe relying on your own control of an area or a situation and not fully trusting in him. And it causes you this anxiety, this, this tension inside of you. You're asking him to push that to the surface so that it can be removed. See if there is any wicked way in me. You are asking the perfect faultless holy god to look at my imperfect human failing heart and reveal to me if there's wickedness anywhere in me remember what solomon called wickedness total darkness is there any darkness in me any wickedness that's there And we're asking him to pull that up and show it to us. Not so we can feel bad and and just go through this scenario of, oh, God, you're good and I'm terrible and make ourselves feel bad. No, so that we can tend the area of our heart to allow the seed of God's word to take root, grow and produce fruit that we can distribute to others. And then after all that we're gonna ask him for his direction lead me into a way that's everlasting show me the way to walk and live my life that there would be eternity in mind and not temporary stuff it's kind of a big thing it's something I don't want you to take lightly I definitely want you to do it but you're going to have to choose to go sit somewhere and ask the Lord these four phrases in Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24, the same way that David asked him. You may not like what pushes up out of you. He may push some things up out of you that you think are bad. He's like, hey, no, 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 keep that. Just take this little area off of it. He just prunes away some of it. It's not an effort to destroy us and, you know, shred our self-confidence. No, it's our way. Of looking at God and saying make my heart right with you let the posture of my heart be humility let my heart be free of any wickedness or darkness let it be pure before you <clears throat> let me have peace let me choose peace and make sure my motives for doing everything that I do going forward are correct <clears throat> That's what I want to ask of all of us this week. If you were to take the challenge, take a notebook and some tissue, because I'm sure there's some things the Lord's going to shine some light on because he loves us enough to show us areas that could kill our heart for him and destroy the word that is growing inside of us. We can remove it. If you right now can can identify on your own, just right now, oh my gosh, there's four things right now that I need to pull out, then go pull them out. Stop doing those things. If you don't know how to do it, ask the Holy Spirit to help you dig those things out from the root because we have to guard our heart. Why? Because from it flows the decisions of our life. The direction of our life flows from that. I want you to to pursue that this week. Continue allowing God to uproot some thoughts that are in your mind. Change the things you're thinking about, but add to it now this prayer that God would purify our hearts.